Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Liam. And I feel like the appropriate place to start this week is our current recording situation. As people have known in recent weeks, we've had a bunch of really dumb, really stupid, just really dumb recording setups, cell phones and libraries and all this other garbage. Um, Liam... This is potentially the dumbest recording setup we've ever had. So, Liam and I are currently in the same building. And by building, I mean his house. And for some reason, the technology still ain't working. So, we're in the same building. However, we are not in the same room. I cannot see him. And we will be doing this podcast remotely as usual, despite the fact that if Liam felt like leaving his room, I could see him from here. Which feels very silly. So this week, we are discussing The Invisible Man, which is a recently released film directed by Lee Wannell. It was also written by Lee Wannell. I don't know if I'm saying his last name right, and in the event that I'm not, I'd like to apologize in advance. Um, It is a film that stars Elizabeth Moss, Oliver Jackson Cohen, Aldous Hodge, Storm Reid, Harriet Dyer, and Michael Dorman. And for anybody that does not know, The Invisible Man is very loosely, in this case, I feel like, based on The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells. I haven't read The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells, and I have not seen the 30s films The Invisible Man. However, I can't help but feel like this is fairly far removed from that kind of experience. This is also not to be confused with... um, the Universal Monsters Dark Universe cinematic experiment that began with The Mummy that was supposed to have Johnny Depp star in an adaptation of The Invisible Man. So it's none of those. And what we have here is a much more grounded in a way, much more serious in a lot of ways, and much more timely in some depressing ways kind of film. But the first thing I wanted to talk about, Liam, is just what your familiarity with like the invisible man as a concept is as dumb as that question sounds seeing as those three words are pretty self-explanatory <laughs> yeah uh I'm, I'm not a big universal monsters guy so i really haven't seen any of those things you know we talked a little bit about werewolves the other week and so uh i know of all of them in concept you know i think wolfman is a cool concept I think uh, Swamp Dude, Fishman is a cool concept. Uh, it's um, but Swamp I... Thing or Creature from the Black Lagoon, and they're different. Okay. They're both cool. Um, but I, I haven't seen any of those movies. I also haven't read the Invisible Man book. But it is, uh, of all the universal monsters that I haven't seen, it, it might be my favorite. I think it's a really cool uh, pairing of three words. And there's also a movie that came out in like 2000 starring Kevin Bacon called Hollow Man, which I also haven't seen, but I know the concept of that one, which is uh, an inventor discovers how to make himself invisible and he takes a serum and he becomes invisible and then he starts going on like a ballistic killing spree. And I just thought that's so cool. The idea that this dude's invisible and then he's doing gnarly stuff. It's kind of like uh, there's a movie that came out this other year called Brightburn, which is all about this 13 year old kid who has like Superman superpowers and he uses them for evil. So the idea that someone like 
has found a way to transcend what we what is normally possible by humans and like use it for bad is is really really cool and so the invisible man you know it's not like a wolf and it's not a fish thing so it's not it's not part of any other species it's just a dude that has found a way to be evil and that's really fascinating to me so while i i don't have any actual familiarity with the the programs themselves i was super super duper excited about this especially when i found out who was doing it you know um lee uh Winnell, I'll say it differently, and that way we just have a fifty percent chance of getting it right. I'll take Lee it. Winnell, he's a horror guy, and so he started off with Saw. He co-wrote that movie with James Wan, and he acted in it. And then from there on, he's sort of been James Wan's uh, right-hand man. They did a movie together called Dead Silence about ventriloquist dummies uh, being evil. And um, and then he also directed Insidious Chapter Three, which is. Uh, I guess a candidate for this show and um and it's the insidious movie that's not directed by James Wan. And then uh so he's 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 been a horror guy and when it turned out that the Universal Monsters which I wasn't that interested in with Tom Cruise and the mummy the dark universe thing when all that was being announced I wasn't very interested. But hearing that we're switching away from Johnny Depp and we're switching away from these huge A-listers and instead going to Blumhouse and they're going to put out a uh, horror movie um, that is much smaller in scope really, really caught my attention. And so I was super excited for this. And um, I think if you're going to bring back the Universal Monsters um, in a way that appeals to the masses, I think this is a way to do it that that kind of seems like it's in spirit with what I've heard those original films are. You know, they're, uh, they're self-contained movies that are creepy all by themselves and then maybe something bigger can be made after that point you know this movie was successful so maybe we'll get more invisible man and maybe eventually we'll see uh the invisible man versus like wolfman or something but i think this is a good (laughs) starting point yeah i mean i don't know if that kind of thing is something i'm particularly interested in given the tone of this adaptation like to crank it up to a weird degree and make it like a goofy versus kind of thing. But I do really think that they struck gold with this idea of taking something that they wanted to turn into like a Marvel-esque cinematic universe and contain it, basically, make it smaller, make it more human and therefore I think more palatable because I just don't think anyone was actually interested in the thing Universal was originally pitching. I don't know who the fuck wanted those movies even before the mummy flopped like i don't know who the fuck wanted that or why they thought it was a good idea it's like dude we got van helsing already we don't need these movies (laughs) like it's just not something anybody's looking for so to see this is really interesting and you already spoke to uh wannell's kind of bona fides not just in the genre but in filmmaking in general uh his relationship to james wan is something i wasn't aware of until the other day uh, while doing research for the show and um, that sort of blew my mind what I had heard about him for was Upgrade which I haven't seen yet but looks exceptional and I really want to especially after seeing what he does here so it's a guy who has gotten on my radar very quickly and it's funny that you say that they turned away from A-list actors because while that's kind of true I think um, Elizabeth Moss is a pretty big fucking get for your movie like elizabeth moss is a huge deal 
and very talented. And that's not to dismiss the supporting cast. I know Aldous Hodge, Storm Reed, I'm familiar with some of their work, but it's one of those things where um, that was really intriguing too, to get um, an actor of that sort of level and that talent interested in the movie. Um, yeah, because but it's it's no it's no Johnny Depp, you know, it's no Tom Cruise. Well, I, I, it's actually you could draw some parallels with Tom Cruise, but it's it's no Johnny Depp, you know. It's uh, yeah, it's but a I, different direction. yeah, for sure. But I think that the awareness of it being Elizabeth Moss does interesting things to the movie because you're like, hey, I know who that is. She was on Mad Men. She was on The Handmaid's Tale. She does all this other yeah. shit. But like, it's still it's it's one of her first uh, leading roles in a in a movie though. She's still kind of making this transition from TV yeah, to big movie I, star, I, and I, I think, think this is gonna do it for her. Yeah, what her smell would have been the other one, right? The Alex Ross Perry movie. Yeah, and yeah. Like, you know, people aren't gonna know what that is really. Well, except for us, I guess. <laughs> and so I was really, really, really excited about this movie, and against my better judgment. Usually, I try not to do this as much. I did watch the trailer. Did you see the trailer for this movie yeah, before it came yeah, out? Yeah, let's talk about it. Uh, so I did. I I try to avoid trailers as well, but it's kind of dumb that I do that because the way my brain works, I'm just really bad at remembering trailers. I'll see it and then it'll it'll be gone from my memory so quickly. And so I didn't seek the trailer out because I I knew. Um, I was going to check it out at some point. And also, I just I don't sit around watching trailers for movies I won't see either. You know, it's just uh, if I see a movie, a trailer isn't really going to convince me to do it because I'm on the Internet so much and I hear people talking about things. And so I saw the trailer just in front of another movie. And while I don't remember any of the images that were in it, any of the scenes, I do remember thinking it looked really lame. I thought, uh, oh, I was very <laughs> underwhelmed and I didn't realize it was a trailer for The Invisible Man for a good amount of it. So it wasn't even like I was disappointed that this is the movie I've been excited for and this is how it's going. I thought I was watching a trailer for some like super, super lame ghosty movie and then it turned out to be The Invisible Man and I was bummed, dude. I, uh, I, I don't remember which trailer it was and I've since talked to a few people who... Um, have seen the trailer and remember it very well and are disappointed that so much was revealed in the trailer. But luckily, that's not the stuff with, that stuck with me. Uh, well, we have two very different takes on that trailer. I similarly, I don't remember a lot of the specific beats from the trailer. And I also don't know how many cuts of the trailer were there, how many trailers did they put out. I'm not 100% sure. So I don't know if I saw a teaser that was a shortened version. I don't know if I saw the full trailer like you're talking about. I don't know because I saw it on Twitter. So like, who knows? I thought the trailer kicked ass and I was very excited and I continued to be very excited. Um, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to say now for us to like really have a back and forth about it because I don't know if we watch different trailers um, because I think that's possible. I think a lot of movies get a fucking billion trailers now. So it's hard to yeah. say, but um, I think it'll be interesting knowing that we maybe came in on different footing. Not that you wouldn't have still been excited, but the fact that you sort of felt probably a little bit differently about it after the trailer came out. And you also have more awareness of these filmmakers than I do. Um, mm -hmm. I, I haven't seen basically anything that this director's ever done, <laughs> including the things that he's written. I've seen basically none of it. And all I know is that upgrade had a ton of really strong goodwill um 
and the trailer and then i saw this before we get into it i want to just say for anybody listening to this who hasn't seen the movie or i guess also for people who have um this is a movie that deals with some fairly significant and upsetting subject matter so i want to put a content warning here that it's going to get into discussion of um not just like violence that's in the movie but things like gaslighting and emotional manipulation and isolation and things like that so if that's not something you want to hear um tune in next week and we'll we'll be talking about something else and uh, just sit this one out but with that out of the way i guess it's worth giving a bit of a framework for what this movie actually is which is that so we have elizabeth moss who is playing cecilia cass and she has a boyfriend who was a whiz in the in the world of optics and um, there's a slight nod that got pointed out to me on Twitter that the company that he works for is the same name of the company that's in the movie Upgrade. So I don't know if cool. he's trying to build like a mini a mini universe here, but I thought that was neat. And um, we see her at the beginning of the movie make this really tense and terrifying escape from his home, which I'm sure we'll talk about more in a second. And um, she's sort of distancing herself from what has clearly been a draining and abusive relationship. We don't know why yet, but it you can just tell. It's it's very well done. And um from there she is sort of trying to get help from her friends and her family and sort of get back in her feet, but as it goes on, she becomes increasingly convinced that he's not dead because shortly after she leaves, he commits suicide. Her his brother becomes involved as his lawyer who is dealing with giving her $5 million pertaining to the fact that she can't commit a crime um, in the next, I think, 30 days or whatever it is. And from there, she becomes increasingly paranoid, isolated, confused, because she's convinced that he is not only not dead and still alive, but actively continuing to torment her and things are going wrong in her life. Um, Emails she doesn't remember sending, isolating people, um, failed job interviews, haziness, uncertainty, emotional distress, all these things that sort of culminate into her being convinced that he is tormenting her and has found a way to become invisible to that end. And you sort of see her spiral from that and um, eventually try to get some catharsis through some encounters at the end. But with that out of the way, I want to toss it over to you, Liam, to get a quick sense of what you thought of the Invisible Man. Thanks, Corey. Uh, yeah, I absolutely loved this movie, man. I yes. uh, I was in it the entire time from that incredibly tense first scene that you're bringing up. I was I was so in. It was just clear from the very beginning that um, there was just a, a mastery of the tone and the story they wanted to tell. It starts with such confidence that you're getting this woman running away from something. Um, you know, there's clearly a story there. Uh, it's sort of in media res, you know, and um, from there, I was just, I was with the movie the entire time. Like I've said, the title has always just intrigued me. And that really held true for the first half of the movie because the film does this really, really cool thing where it knows that you know what the movie is about. And so it it reveals itself gradually, but also it doesn't pretend as if 
the viewer doesn't know what's going on. And so there's it plays into that in all sorts of really cool ways um, with long shots and um, stuff going wrong very early on you know we 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 the movie is tense from beginning to end and so the horror starts way earlier than i thought it would i love the opening scene really yeah of course yeah um i love the social commentary that's happening here i think it's such a clever way to um I, i don't even know you know, I'd say update the story. I don't know the story um, and the details of the story the way it's been told before, but it does feel very timely. And so there, there's, I think there's just a lot of work to be done here to make this story one that is both timely and timeless. You know, I think this is going to hold up um, as a piece of really topical film in 2020, but also I think it's such a well-told story just in terms of the general concept of the invisible man that you know has fascinated me for so long that i really i really think this is like an all-timer man i'm going to come back to this and i think it should be uh you know sh- it could be like shown in schools and stuff like high schools as and film classes as an example of great horror filmmaking of uh just a movie that really has stuff to say and does it in a really, really thoughtful and confident and engaging way. And uh, I, I was really into this movie, man. I was, I was absolutely blown away because, you know, the trailer. I was a bit underwhelmed, and um, and even though I know the pedigree of the dude who is directing this movie, Lee, I and I and I am interested in Blumhouse and their production model of producing small stories and releasing them wide. That stuff got me interested, but I didn't know how I was going to feel about this movie because I don't really know the story. I like the title, but I don't actually know like who the Invisible Man is. I kind of even forgot like going into this that he was going to be the bad guy and not the um, like anti-hero protagonist. Um, and I don't like... I'm not totally blown away by Lee Winnell's other work that I've seen. I'm not a huge Saw guy. The ventriloquist movie, Dead Silence, uh, it doesn't do much for me. Um, Insidious Chapter 3 is just a standard ghost movie. And I also haven't seen Upgrade, which I've heard is great, you know? So maybe this is, he's really starting to come into his own now that he's writing and directing things all on his own. Yeah. And um, For the recap you know, so episode, I'm, we should do Upgrade. I feel Absolutely. like that counts. We should. We we really should. I would love to do that because this movie is just it's firing on all cylinders and I am so impressed that it is a story that is adapted, you know, it's it's on the show because it's a it's a reboot, you know, sequel of sorts, but it it feels so original and I you know, I I really can't stop thinking about this movie and how much I was into it. What about you, Corey? I, I couldn't agree more with pretty much everything you've just said. I I really, really do think that this is, on first watch, one of the best, dare I say, movies, period, I've seen in years. Um, and I don't say that lightly, but I say it with a lot of conviction because I think the word that you use that sticks out to me is impressive, top to bottom, everything about this movie is extremely impressive not in a way that it's like a spectacle 
and you're not being drawn out of the experience by the fact that you're being blown away. It's very quiet in how good it is, but when you sit back and you think about the experience, it's really, really difficult to not just be completely blown away. Um, something I want to speak to before we get into anything too nitty gritty is um, you're saying that it's so impressive in part because there's this timeliness to it. And I agree. I think the timeliness is really important. It's something that we talked about when we talked about Black Christmas. Um, I think it's a fair thing to say that it's you're hitting similar beats here. It's attempting to do a similar thing. It's it's not necessarily, in this case, like a reclamation of a film going in a different direction, but it's saying those kind of things. But something that I think is equally important to say is that the emotional impact of the invisible man goes beyond updating a property for any kind of like me too era timeliness. And it's not just like a weird excuse to try to be woke. Um, it's a film that provides like a perfect conceit to illustrate in some really harrowing detail, the pain and torment of abusive relationships mentally, physically and emotionally and how that can really harm people. And in a lot of cases can really harm women uh, if in real life victims often feel as though their abuser continues to haunt them after leaving the situation, it's only logical to wonder what would happen if the abuser could literally remain in their lives. But I think for me, any timeliness to a story about gaslighting, manipulating, abusing, and terrorizing women to our modern lives is really more of an indictment of the society in which we live than a knock against the movie for being trite or trying to be too fucking smart. I think that it's a testament to the movie that it is as sharply written and sharply produced as it is, that it's able to do that. But like you're saying, it's as timely as it is timeless. And it really feels like this is a movie that you could watch in 20 years. And while hopefully a lot of the problems I've just named are far less pronounced than they are today, that it would be just as effective as a film without feeling as immediate as it does. But I also think that the immediacy helps it a great deal. Um, and then every part of the production from performances, cinematography, the script, the pacing, everything, it's just fucking, it's really good. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're saying, compare, comparing it to Black Christmas there, um, that might also be evidenced by the fact that this movie is doing so good. It is um far exceeding expectations you know for a horror movie and uh for uh a universal monsters movie because we know that the mummy didn't do that well you know and it's early um, in the year the box office doesn't really pick up that well after january in a lot of cases so totally and i think that's a testament to how um well this movie handles its themes and how well it channels it into um an original story that just so happens to be based on this invisible man thing. I think the reason that people were so upset with Black Christmas and the reason uh, people weren't going to see it um, was because it was so like explicitly woke and that was the marketing materials and that was the intent of the filmmakers. Yeah, which really which quickly, I do want to underscore really quick, was the intent of the filmmakers. They did that on purpose. And that's why the movie works. Continue. Yeah. I just yeah, want to really yeah. underscore that because there are people who think that they just did that, I don't know, to be fucking provocative. And it is provocative, but it was also the fucking point. Anyway. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, but a, a movie like this where it's sort of, uh, it's slipped in there um, is, is a lot more 
um, digestible and it is it is a lot more um, accessible to people. And so I think it's a it's great that we have both those movies, you know, in, the, in a matter of a couple months, we have Black Christmas that just goes for the throat. And then we have this movie that comes at it from an entirely different angle and it's also very neat that we got to do both those uh yeah both those movies on the show it's it's cool that people are um looking to old materials and uh bringing them up to date with the stuff that we kind of need to hear right now yeah and i think if we want to get into what it is about this movie that works so well we've talked about it a little bit already you can't start in a better place than the very beginning of the movie um it's a testament to the movie that the abuser in this case is adrian as mentioned is as terrifying presence while completely asleep and not moving as he is while in an invisibility suit throwing elizabeth moss across a room like it's preposterous to me that they managed to make that dude's mere presence just completely unsettling and just like heart-poundingly shit and um, they really do because that opening sequence, it's its really, it's an amalgamation of everything that works so well. Um, it's very quiet. It's very slow. Um, and it's very deliberate. Um, I think from the very beginning where you're seeing her and Cecilia is checking the clock and then just the terror with which she tries to get his hand off of her stomach so she can get out of the bed like that single gesture is more absolutely horrifying than entire movies i've seen completely it's mm -hmm. the fucking worst and she's every move is being made with um a caution that comes with both knowing that you really only have one opportunity and knowing that if you fuck this opportunity up, it's going to be very bad. So you're seeing her get bags and finding where stuff has been hidden or deliberately placed and making very specific movements, um, which ultimately gets thrown away a little bit because the dog and the car alarm. But it's... it's great, great first big moment, too. Hey, when that yeah. dog bumped the car. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and then so you you just get her in a point of extreme vulnerability while completely setting up the dynamic of the story without language without a big show of force without really anything and i think it's important to note too that when she gets out to the road and gets picked up by her sister and adrian realizes what's happening and chases her out um and breaks the window uh, first of all fucked up scary a nightmare potentially far too real for some people than it ever ought to be but in terms of the story of the movie it helps because it proves that this guy is fucking nuts without invisibility right like he is a problem regardless and then it gives you an image both before and after he does that that makes you wonder who he is what he's capable of doing and i think it's it's nice that they leave the violence reveal until the end because i think it could be as affecting without the immediate physical violence um because he ends up being so capable in terms of 
manipulation and isolation and gaslighting and things like that that um it would work without it but to escalate it in that way and then obviously the movie escalates it quite a bit more but um it's 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 one of the most perfect openings of a movie i've seen ever <laughs> like yeah no dude you get no arguments from me i i think it is perfect it's the perfect way to begin this movie and it's so it feels different immediately you know like it 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 i can't think of many movies that would start um uh, telling a story like this um in such a yeah a confident and such a tense way you know other movies might uh slow down a bit at the beginning and maybe have some flashbacks to their relationship and when times were good but then you know when times were bad but instead we begin immediately from cecilia's perspective and all we really need are her actions and her words to know how awful this guy is and and we believe her through um, through the things that she's saying and the way she's acting. And I think that punch just really um, goes a little bit farther to show us that what is going to come with uh, um, the horror later on. You know, we know that we're watching a movie where stuff is going to get really bad. Um, it, it shows that he is very much capable of doing the awful things that we are. They're like the really brazenly awful things. You know, we know that he's he's abusing her in such terrible ways, but the punch shows that like this dude like might like kill a cop. You know, like he. Uh, it's it's a. It's a commitment to escalation, um, not yeah. in the sense that it somehow becomes any worse because all of it's terrible, but it's a reminder that, you know, if somehow the opening didn't convince you that she's not doing this for fucking nothing, like, it's yeah. serious. And then obviously throughout the movie, we gradually get a bit more information, a bit more insight into what that relationship was like for Cecilia, and... um she never makes it explicitly clear that it was about physical abuse, but, you know, violence is not only physical, and it's what we're saying. It's, um, she describes him as deciding, like, what she wore, what she ate, who she talked to, how she talked, eventually what she thought, how she thought, and just really getting inside the mind of another person, um, manipulating them, turning them toward what you want, and then obviously we get to the far darker implications of um whether or not to have a child somebody who is that kind of manipulative person forcing that onto somebody um somebody who has been established as a sort of scientific genius who shows a cunning and an ability to not just produce technology but to uh deeply understand to enough of a degree what someone is like to be able to as we learned for example replace her secret birth control which maybe described like that sounds silly removed from context but um in the moment it's just fucking harrowing the realization and every realization is harrowing even though especially with things like the invisibility the audience is in on it um it doesn't do anything to detract from the fact that like it's a nightmare especially because those early gestures are so small it's like oh that knife fell off the counter and the burner got on too high. That's shit you could theoretically do by accident. But it's about those piling up and piling up. And now they're becoming more serious. And now she's 
somehow forgetting the most important documents for this job interview. And it just escalates and escalates. And now she's allegedly uh, hitting Sydney in the face. And it just escalates. And it's just fucking miserable. Dude, yeah. And it's everything that comes after that first scene is so scary because of that first scene. So when we're getting stuff that might be seen in like other ghost movies you know where a knife falls off the counter and uh and a burner is turned on a lot of times the reason ghost movies don't scare me all that often is because it feels like it like it can't happen it's not going to happen to me and also it's just too abstract of a concept like who is this ghost are they just getting like are they just laughing to themselves because they get to bother someone um but this movie because we know what's going on, uh, we know that there is an invisible man and we know the things that he's done to this woman and how he wants to torment her. Every single action um, is just, it feels so, so heavy because we know what the game plan is. And, um, and every time the director pans a camera around the room and these like long takes it's the movie is just so scary because we we know the premise and the director knows that we know the premise and so we're just left to sort of sit with it and it all feels very real to us because we have that first scene in order to understand what's going on you know i don't think this movie would work nearly as well without the first scene and i think uh there can't be a better first scene for this movie i think uh it's it's just it's so perfect yeah i i think it also doesn't work without these actors and i mean very specifically these actors not that i don't think other people couldn't do these performances but something about the way these performances all come together is immaculate and i don't know if you could possibly give enough praise to elizabeth moss i don't know if it's possible to praise this performance enough um there is something about it and there's something about the arc that it takes because gradually of course it builds toward her redeveloping a sense of confidence and self-assuredness and getting her own catharsis by the end but um, there, there's a degree of uncertainty and fr- like fatigue and emotional vulnerability and just the the consequences of such an extended period of this behavior that is revealed in very delicate nuances in her performance down to, I think I've thought a lot about when she gets to James's house, James being her uh, her friend played by Aldous Hodge, who is who is a police officer who lives with um his daughter Sydney, and um she can't bring herself to physically step outside of the house because she is convinced that Adrian could somehow find her there and doesn't want her sister stopping by because what if he followed her here and um it's not just in the fact that she's saying these things, but there's something about her mannerisms that when she does finally step outside, the the trepidation and the terror and the sort of very hunched up, balled up body language and the small steps really sort of emphasize everything about the state that she's in. And um, obviously those things become more pronounced as she sort of spirals a bit and she becomes a bit more manic and it's less of a 
resigned defeat and more of a more of a panic because nobody will fucking believe her but she knows deeply that this is happening and this is true and um it's really harrowing to watch that kind of that spiral take place and i feel like elizabeth moss gradually gaining that assuredness in herself that she knows that she's right is equal parts liberating toward the end but it also initially even though we know she's right as an audience is just sort of miserable because the deck is stacked against her in such a way that she really i mean evidently is coming across like like a crazy person and we know that she isn't but the the disbelief that someone would bring to people not believing her even though she knows that she's right is um is really interesting you also get moments of her trying to prove her point uh climbing into the attic and finding an old phone and the documents that she was supposed to have or putting is it coffee grounds on the floor to try to get yeah, footprints? Yeah. yeah i don't know if it was just one bag uh because we was see her eye the bag <laughs> and then we see her em- empty finishing emptying the bag but there's a lot of coffee on she covers ground, like man. the whole floor um but I think what really holds that together is that throughout the movie, things are happening that intentionally isolate her from her support network, um, which again is James and Sydney. You have some nice moments with them sort of while she's sort of getting back in her feet and things seem kind of positive, And also her sister, Emily, where you can really tell that these people care and are concerned and want Cecilia to be okay but at the same time, they just cannot rationalize what she's saying at all. So it becomes a side effect not of Adrian's actual abuse, but her inability to get over that, which unfairly puts the ball in her court, especially because we know that she's right and that this would all be easier if they would just believe her and... um I think, you know, maybe if we all want to take a lesson, maybe our lives would be a bit easier, too, if we just believed women more often. But there's this undercurrent, though, where you get James when they're interviewing her and she's been put in the the hospital where he is prepared to take that moment aside to talk to her and hear her out and get her actual point of view and try to make it better because she does, or rather, he does care. And again... Uh, we find it that Adrian sends an email to her sister that basically excommunicates her and they're on bad footing. But again, her sister does meet her in that restaurant later. Like they do want this to work and you can feel that tense support group dynamic the whole time. And I think that's aside from the fact too, that I think um, James or Aldous Hodge, who was playing James, is just really great, especially. And I think the dynamic that he has with Storm Reed is really good. Um, there's not a bad performance in the thing. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> I think that's a really that's a really beautiful uh, analysis of. I've been, thi- Moss, I've been thinking about this a lot, and and yeah, and her performance, and uh, just okay. So for full disclosure, I want to get this on record because this is going to be a movie I'm going to come back to so much, and uh, I would I think it's awesome that the first time I see it, my first thoughts are on this podcast. I'll be able to come back to it. So. Um, 
I'm going to have to betray us for a quick second here and say, despite my absolute love for this movie, I don't love Elizabeth Moss's performance. Um, <laughs> okay. Which is crazy because she's, I mean, she's in it from the from the very beginning. Like I said, the we movie follow her from is the beginning. Her. The movie yeah. is her. She's the whole yeah, thing. And, and so it's not as simple as I, I just don't, I don't like her. And so I didn't like anything she did because that's not the case. Um, because uh, I, I do, I've liked her in other movies. Uh, she's in this movie called The One I Love with Mark Duplass that is just amazing. Um, but in this movie, there were a few scenes where I just, I really felt her, um, it, it seemed to me like she was like trying to conjure up these these really heavy dramatic scenes. It's the type of scenes that like play um, before someone's be- like best actor nom at... Um, at the Oscars and it's not because the scenes are written poorly um it's it's just because uh I don't think she's that good at talking to herself and so we get a couple scenes like the coffee ground thing that you're that you brought up where she's sitting there with this knife and she's like she's talking to the invisible presence in the room and she's saying you know why me Why, why did it have to be me above everyone else and um and I think the scene is written super well, but I just, I, I can't really say anything besides it didn't feel authentic to me. And um, can performance, I, yeah. Can I ahead. ask you, I don't mean to cut you off while you're like getting your thoughts out, but just really quick. Does anybody sound convincing when talking to themselves? Um, You know what I mean? Like, because I, I don't know, when I think about if I'm ever talking to myself in real life, I don't know if... um. I've ever done it in a way that other people would find convincing. And I don't mean this as, as in a question you need to answer right now, but it's just something that came to mind where it's like, well, I don't know if anybody ever sounds convincing while doing that, but I get what you mean. Like I get fair enough. And, but no, and as I get further into the sentence, right, I realize that she's not talking to herself. She's, she's talking to this invisible man, you know, Mm -hmm. she's talking to her ex-boyfriend and another scene that I thought she didn't work in, you know, I just, I just want to put him down because then you know later in life i'll be able to yeah, please check these out and it's it's when she gets to james's house and she's telling james and sydney about what she went through and um so it's it's these it's these scenes where she really like has to dig deep not into like screaming and being delirious but just when she sort of has to tap into the more um the more introspective um but still like frustrated and broken part of her personality that I didn't quite feel. Um, And I wish it were as simple as like, I just don't like her as an actress because then um, it'd be like, you know, they cast someone I don't really like, but I like the movie otherwise, but that's not it because when she buys a ladder for James and Sydney as as a as a present, and she's like kind of being goofy and saying, "Hey, there's a note up there. Where where did that come from? Oh, who? That's kind of funny. Who must have put that there?" I think she's so so charming. And um, similarly, there's a huge moment uh, later in the movie, coming up on the third act, where uh, her sister dies, and the look in her face is. Uh, I mean, it it's exactly how I think that would go down. And so um, I don't think she's a bad actress. And I don't think 
um, that the movie suffers from it, which I really have to stress because I'm not lying when I say this movie is absolutely an all-timer and I, I really love everything about it. So while there's a couple scenes where I found myself thinking um, that doesn't feel exactly it to me, it's certainly, it's, I love this movie so much that I can't just chalk it up to, um, that I dislike this. And so like, that's a, I'm taking a point off it or anything. I, yeah, well, I'm so invested in everything that, um, you know, I just had to, I felt the movie so much that I also felt when the things weren't working for me entirely. Right. Well, and you know, nuance is important. Things are complicated. I think that a lot of people now are under the impression that if you love something, you have to not be able to grapple with the things about it you think are less than perfect. And I think it's perfectly reasonable for you to have reservations about certain scenes while on the whole recognizing how you feel about it as a cohesive thing and that those don't have to be conflicting ideas. Like, yeah, yeah. You can love it and still have thoughts about that. And like we're saying that those things can be read differently because I'm singling out scenes where I think that worked. And then you're like, Oh, well I didn't think that worked as well. And it's like, that's fine. Um, we're both able to still feel the same way about the movie, regardless of that being true. Yeah, um, that's cool. I, and I also, I can't think of anyone else who should have played this part, you know, cause I have, I know other actresses who I really I can't like, picture. I, I can't, I can't picture them. No. So I, I totally see why they did this. And it's also, entirely possible that i'm gonna look back at this movie and i'm gonna watch it again and those scenes are gonna work for me you know i don't know i don't know yeah i mean i'm sure you'll see it many times so it'll have to come down to that i think the natural sort of next thing to talk about is um how they manifest what cecilia is dealing with and how they work in the invisible man aspect of the invisible man um I don't want to dwell too much on the mechanics of individual scenes where it's like, oh, well, if we're saying that she was actually drugged, like, when did he do that? And blah, 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 whatever. And it's like, well, nobody gives a shit because he's invisible. We didn't see it. It doesn't matter. Like, shut up. But yeah, yeah I, I didn't really I didn't think about that stuff at all. And none of that came to me. But I think the the pace at which they reveal his like machinations basically and how they choose to do that visually is so 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 smart um it's a very patient movie in a lot of ways but it also doesn't fuck around because i think it's cognizant of the fact that we as the audience get it already like get the i don't want to say gimmick but the gimmick um so we see her trying to figure out what's happening and very quickly become convinced that he is definitely here 100 percent. we have her checking out the attic um and she finds his phone with a text from an unknown number that says surprise and all that other stuff and things are not where they're supposed to be that amazing fucking shot with the knife and the burner has already happened which um is probably in the trailer but it's just a static shot of the kitchen and she's cooking and she leaves the room to go wake Sydney up and you just sort of watch a knife fall on the floor and then the burner slowly picks up to the point where it's a flame and then they solve that and it's like, huh, that's weird. 
oh did i do that shit okay well i'll try to not do that anymore um and then not much longer after that in the runtime of the movie you get the first confrontation between her and adrian um which is way earlier than i would have thought it would have been and it's in that same kitchen uh james and cindy are gone and she's just like fucking convinced she saw him while she was in the attic the situation with the ladder so like she's like he's here 100 percent. and that reveal is a fucking trip but the paint reveal yeah oh my gosh yeah dude there like there's more than two uh but less than 10 but there's a good amount of times in this movie where i audibly exclaimed and like the air was just sucked out of the room like you know when hereditary when like the thing happens like 45 minutes in Uh uh-huh and it's like oh man that's where we are now there there was like three or four moments like that where you know it just i i i wasn't expecting it and it's just like the mood of the room changes and that paint can scene was one of them the sound it it sucks the air out of the room but yeah and oh you you know there's just so much working that makes it happen do you know what's fucked up though i i wasn't even going to single out the paint thing it's so good but it's not even because after that there is a fucking fight scene and it is one of the most fucked up things I've ever fucking seen. And real mm-hmm. and realistically, the effect is fairly simple insofar as they have something that she can work with, either a person or something else, in green or blue that they just key out, right? And the, like, computer effect around it. But it's so seamless, and there's something about it that's so primal. Like, it's not a sophisticated encounter, there's a lot of smashing things and yelling and trying to get away and being dragged around and fucking thrown and shit. And it's just, it's got this fucking energy to it. And it would be bad enough if you could fucking see him. But the fact that you can't and you're just seeing her struggle against this imperceptible but overpowering force... I mean, you know, I guess the metaphor speaks for itself, but just watching the scene happen is just heart pounding. Yeah, and the pace of the movie is it's it's so brilliant the way that they lead up to this moment because it's like you said, it's a very it's primal and um and it's a very uh basic effect. It's just we key out uh someone so it looks like she's fighting uh an invisible man. I mean, like you know, that's something that uh, we figured was going to happen. But being presented at this point in the movie, it it's such a... Uh... It's so much earlier than you expect a scene that is that visceral. Yeah, yeah. And, and it goes um, from being... For me, it went from being goofy to being haunting because... Um, because it's so basic in in the way it looks and um, in the idea of it that if someone is fighting the air, like it's a, it's a bit silly looking. The movie commits to it so much that um, and and it has such a good setup prior to this point that it went in within the the runtime of that fight. It's like a minute, a minute and a half. It went from looking like kind of silly and ridiculous to me to like being so effective and. I bought into it entirely. The same thing happened to me when I first saw the movie Scream, one of my favorite horror movies, um, because the ghost face killer costume, it looks 
goofy. It's something you see in a convenience store and it's very basic. It's not sophisticated. And if you just see it like out of context, it looks ridiculous. But because the movie is crafted in such a thoughtful and tense way, eventually um, Ghostface didn't become the dude from a scary movie to me. You know, he became um, a man, you know, like someone beneath the cloak that is doing absolutely terrifying things. And this movie... Uh, it, it 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 does something similar where it it puts a man behind the villain and in doing so it it really anything it does from that point on is going to scare me because I've bought so much into uh, the the pace and the background that has been set up. Yeah, I I think crucially to your point, um, it doesn't just look silly like someone fighting the air because you completely believe that it is not somebody fighting the air, that it is somebody yeah. fighting somebody else. Um, and as the movie progresses, you get flashes of that sort of direct physical fighting or like contact between them. But in terms of that brand of violence, the movie doesn't have it for a while. Um, not in the same way, uh, Obviously, there's the scene in the restaurant, which is extremely violent. And obviously, there is the scene with Sydney, which is uh, also extremely violent uh, because punching 16 year olds is not cool. But um, both hereditary moments, too, by the way. Oh, the restaurant and Sydney's punch. I, are, I, oh my gosh. I, I can't think of like those two things shocked me so profoundly. Um, I think the punch is especially effective because you would have no reason to assume it was happening. Like you, we've already seen floating knives. So like, it's not that wild, but you have no reason to expect that the way that he has concocted to get two important people to her out of her life is that he is going to be invisible and punch a child. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot. And um, yeah, we just keep learning more about Adrian as the movie's going on and, and what and he's his capable fucking of. stupid and, shithead brother. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we, and we keep learning more about what he's capable of. But at the same time, because of that opening scene, like none of it feels out of character and not just the opening scene, but what she's told to James in Sydney, you know, yeah. Adrian, the character, he's he always been capable. over this movie. Yeah. And, and um, so oh, the title and yeah, I just want to I just want to say that the title in that way is so amazing. It's so cool that H.G. Wells came up with the title The Invisible Man because it's been it's been so thought provoking to me all my life. And and in this movie, every time I, I thought about the title and just the way that like Adrian's character like permeates every single scene of this movie when the camera is lingering around and looking at nothing and the way that his character still has an effect on her and and makes it so she can't leave the house you know all of a sudden this invisible man concept of this dude who is now become who can become invisible means so much more than just that it's 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 really really amazing yeah and i'm going to loosely paraphrase a piece that i read about the movie by joshua rivera over on the verge and um i say that just because i don't have it in front of me so but it's it's 
thought-provoking and it's relevant where if you expand that invisible man idea you can do it in two different directions with this movie on the one hand um the abuse allegory is obvious and i think that i i hate to say the phrase in our society because everybody just memes it into being like oh well we do live in a society but it's one of those things where um we're hearing about it so much more now but the that kind of behavior especially for men really gets a pass and is able to exist without being pronounced or if people bring it to the fore as cecilia does they're sort of brushed off or it's it's made to seem unbelievable or like something that would never happen so clearly there's either something wrong with you or you're trying to get something out of it so it's on the one hand because we know that this guy is he's important he's rich he's a genius whatever it's an important man a powerful man getting away with whatever the fuck he wants uh while everybody turns a blind eye and it's something that we're reckoning with um on a fairly large scale right now and certainly the film industry is um you have uh moments it feels like cropping up at least every couple weeks of another big show of the fact that you know we're not going to let that just be the status quo and women ought not have to take that lying down um and that's refreshing and that obviously speaks to the timeliness here that we're talking about um like even with like the caesar awards um week or two ago that's one of the many examples but in the other direction in terms of this invisible power that certain kinds of often men can wield the thing that joshua talks about in his piece is how um Adrian is also like a tech entrepreneur. He's a real like fucking Silicon Valley ass. He he's a tech genius. He he's so good at optics and cameras and lenses that he crafted a suit made of lenses that turns him invisible so he can assert his power over people in his life more pronounced. Um all the while nobody knew that that's what he was doing and you have a lot of people you have like your fucking jack dorsey's and your zuckerbergs and these guys who just seem like they have no single sense of social etiquette or understanding or how people interact with other people who in the quiet dark of these like silicon valley nightmares um built these giant apparatuses of technological power or the internet and things like that that just assert this this dominance in a way that we didn't even realize or fully understand. And I would highly recommend that people go read that piece that he wrote. Um, I'll put it in the description for this episode, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because it, it's really thought provoking to see how it works as a two pronged allegory um, or metaphor or whatever. Um, and not just the, uh, the perhaps more obvious one, but I think both are equally important to what makes the movie work so well especially now but also i think what will always work about it yeah yeah dude timely and timeless this movie is uh it's one of a kind i am so grateful to have seen it yeah and something that we can get into is that over time we have it so cecilia reaches her lowest point when as we've sort of danced around um she tries to meet with her sister to talk about adrian because she had gone back to his house on a hunch and was able to find this suit that he built hid one away because he had two and um wants to be like i have the proof now you have to believe me and um 
Adrian was there because he's in every scene uh, and he's an omnipresent force in this movie. And um, he picks up a knife, kills her sister, makes it look like she did it, and she gets arrested um, in a truly horrifying scene. And from there, we have her in detainment in some sort of psychiatric detainment rather than a prison. And um, she is rebelling tooth and nail against this. She is 100% committed to knowing that she is right. She has the physical evidence. She has the plan. She knows what she needs. She knows that he's there. And um, you get her concocting a plan and with that pen and things like that and then confronting him on her own terms uh, because she is aware of what he's doing um, to much more of an extent that she had been before. And so you get this drawn out sequence where she is trying to stop him while they're in that psychiatric ward and on their way out into the pouring rain, which is such an obvious and great idea. And his suit is malfunctioning. So you can only see flashes of it. And there's that fucking great scene with all of these security guards or cops or whatever, where he is just dismantling them and just killing everybody. Not because he's this, um, hyper strong superhero force of nature, but like how the fuck are you supposed to fight something you can't see? Yeah. Like, dude's invisible. Dude's invisible. Um, and they sort of flee. Uh, he wants to prove a point by going after Sydney. Um, he doesn't want to kill Cecilia, but he wants things to weigh heavy on her conscience. He wants her to feel tormented and miserable and drawn back to him as a means of, sort of oh well i'll stop if you just come back and like have the baby that you don't want Mm. um yeah and all this has been communicated to her through his brother um who sucks yeah who sucks but (laughs) they they don't make it it clear because there's a while where they're like oh well was the brother abusing him as well is he actually the abusive guy like there's a bit of back and forth yeah yeah i thought that was so clever when the brother reveals to Cecilia that um, he hated his brother as well. You know, I, I felt I didn't see that coming. Um, and I thought it was so smart to then pivot once more and um, reveal himself to be terrible and then actually be on it and in on it and wear the suit um, at one point. Again, very much like Scream, where it just shows that... Uh, when someone is awful, they're going to do awful things and they're going to f- find other people that they can manipulate to be awful with them. It's, it's the same thing with Scream um, where uh, Billy gets Stu to come along with him and do his plan because he wants to get back at a woman um, that he uh, has massive problems with. So it's just... It's as we're talking through it, I'm just realizing this is just a tale that I'm I'm so into and it just it needs to be told again and again. And so when it turned out that this brother character was also on his side and against Cecilia, I thought it was it was so perfect. And it was revealed in in such a uh, like you say, a well-paced way, the way that I thought um he wasn't in on it at first, even though like I've seen Scream and I and I love that concept. Um, but then it, it turns out that he is in on it. I just think the the movie is it knows what it wants to say from the very beginning, but it also knows like the most engaging, 
way to say it while also um, adhering to the characters that it's presented. You know, no one ever feels out of character in this movie, but the characters also don't make themselves clear from the very beginning. Yeah, and it helps illustrate, too, how a lot of the... um the things that exist that help this kind of behavior just sort of perpetuate itself is people complicit in it, whether directly like it seems like his brother is or just by passively not doing anything. So it speaks again to the movie's ability to um, really thoroughly understand its subject matter. Like you're saying in terms of the dichotomy between in and black Christmas in a way that, maybe is more accessible to a wider audience, but not in the way that it's less pronounced. I think this movie is extremely pronounced and it's jarring and horrible and it does not mince words or hold anything back. But because you're able to focus specifically in on Cecilia's experience, um, perhaps it makes it easier for some people to not feel like they're being lectured at but it is very much aware of what it's doing and i think that's all the way up until the ending because there is a sort of confrontation at james's house which leaves um people bloodied in a in a difficult situation but not dead and there's this realization that what adrian's been trapped in his house the whole time how could that be and um obviously we have every reason to believe by this point in the movie that that is an absolute crock of shit um and so cecilia of her own free will comes up with the idea because she had hidden that suit away to go see adrian at their house and have this meal and talk and um i'm not gonna pussyfoot around it and fucking kill that guy and stage it to make it look like a suicide because she knows where the cameras are she can be invisible and um she can make it look like an accident because you know you're not the only guy that can pick up a knife while invisible fuck you and um it's the most cathartic fucking thing in the world especially because james was there because she had pitched it as just wanting to talk and then he's like oh you had no fucking intention of just talking to this guy huh and um seeing her not just like emancipate herself from this guy but make her own choice and have her the agency to do that shit for herself is just so fucking nice like oh yeah dude it is it's such a great uh twisted ending but it also it doesn't feel like a um like a dark stinger of an ending just for the sake of it it is very Completely in earned. line with everything we've seen before very earned and again uh just for the record, Scream does a very similar thing where our lead female character, after um, finding a way to one-up the male villains, dons the suit that the villains have been wearing the entire time and and uh, strikes back at them while wearing that suit. And I just love that idea of taking the power back and uh, confronting your attacker. But, you know, also uh, we, we get that final conversation with James where... Uh, she is telling him what happened but you can also kind of see that she's wrestling what she with what she just did and she's trying to convince herself as much as him that uh that adrian was in on it because his abuse of her is like so ingrained that 
the possibility somehow still stands that maybe he wasn't in on it and it was just the brother and of course we know that's not the case and she knows that's not the case too which is why she did what she did but she's still someone that has gone through so much and while she's now finally in the clear and her abuser is uh dead and she gets to deal with that news for a second time in the movie because she already heard it once you know we know after seeing it from the first time God. that when uh, she just calls the police and acts yeah. all fucking terrified and then just hangs up and just goes completely back to normal yeah it's great um yeah no it's it's a great moment one thing that we haven't talked about as much because i think there's so much that you can get out of um the performances in the script in terms of just how it's written and what it's doing is um the more technical side not just the effects which are all like fucking seamless and great uh and i think the last thing i actually have the last note i have is that um it's it's amazing to me that this movie manages to make a suit made out of camera lenses not feel stupid because that, that shit in any other movie would be dumb as fuck. Like, I'm a suit made of cameras. Woo. But here it's like, nah, genuinely, this is fucking terrifying. But, um. Yeah, yeah, right from the first time we kind of see it, when the paint gets thrown on him, it's so quick, but you can see that his head is made of some sort of uh rippled surface and it's really really unsettling and then when we get the suit reveal it works like not only dramatically in just being a visually striking image but i also bought into it scientifically and i just thought like yeah if someone was going to make themselves invisible that's that's probably how they would do it and the movie did it needed to find that line between like making the science seem plausible but also not going too far into it because this is like this is a horror and suspense movie more than it is a science fiction movie and it really would have slowed down the movie if we got oh he must be using these all these cameras in order to reflect what's around them and we we don't need the iron man explanation yeah 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 and so it's just it's a perfect balance this movie struck yeah and it, it it's able to dole out those beats those realizations at a really um consistent pace of varying degrees while also being able to have scenes that are patient and um it doesn't feel like it's hopping around from thing to thing it feels like a very slow natural progression uh, maybe not slow i think i think it's a fairly breezy view because you're constantly on the edge of your seat but something that we haven't talked about that really holds this together um i think is um the way it's shot and the music um i i'd be remiss if i didn't do my my due diligence on this podcast and bring up the music but um the music in this movie fucking rules and i feel like it's used fairly sparingly but there is something about the the mixture of classical um instrumentation and weird synthetic ambient droning uh harsh sound that really just fits the dread of the whole atmosphere so so well yes yes uh dread is a great way to put it the music in this movie and i took note of the way the music was making me feel because um i noticed that it was doing something to me and what the what the music does here is it puts you right there with elizabeth moss's character um 
when you're seeing an empty room and the room is being lingered on as if you're about to see, you know, like Michael Myers standing in the back of a shot or something. A lot of times you don't actually see anything in these shots. At least I didn't notice anything. You know, you're not seeing um, like a footprint or a small object move. You're seeing nothing to indicate that the invisible man is actually there. But through that lingering shot and through the music which swells up and then sometimes you even get these big strikes in the music as if you're you're noticing that something heavy is in the shot but there's actually nothing there but it but it makes you feel dread all the time you know the way elizabeth moss must be constantly looking over her shoulder and feeling this weight on her um you're feeling that the entire time throughout the movie and i thought it was uh totally effective and it did exactly what it needed to do yeah and i also think that the the cinematography carries a lot of weight here also i think because it it operates in a couple different modes there there are a lot of moments that are just sort of like dark and brooding almost maybe not brooding that's a little not really the word i'm going for but there is that sort of horror movie quote-unquote sensibility to it but there is also something just about knowing how to do a good pan uh which is a staple in horror at this point a good pan will put anybody on the edge of their seat but i think it's elevated by um a visual sense that knows that like a hallway is a terrifying place to be because it's claustrophobic and shitty um or there's a sort of sterile feeling that comes with a lot of it um it felt a bit killing of a sacred deer to me which also by extension felt a bit kubrick to me um in the sense that there is a lot of sort of shots where the camera is just where it is and things are happening in the scene but it's got this very clinical feeling even if the imagery itself is not clinical it's the camera that feels clinical i don't know if this is making sense but um there is something about it that feels very hands-off and isolating at times and i think that's juxtaposed really well with um some close-ups that really put you where elizabeth moss is um and juxtaposes that with something that feels very immediate very direct i'm thinking of the shot where the camera like follows her to the floor which is a play on something that he does in upgrade which i've only seen because i've seen the clip which is where the guy from upgrade i don't know mr upgrade is um lying down on the floor and he's got like a robot body or like robot like additions to him and he springs up off the ground so the camera is lying down on the ground with him and as he springs up it follows him up and it's super fucking kinetic and cool and obviously that doesn't necessarily go with some of the stuff i initially described but it's the fact that the camera can operate in a couple different ways that really helps you sort of navigate the ups and downs well mostly downs but of the movie yeah no it's uh <laughs> The movie just does exactly what it needs to do and it's gonna it would take a lot of hours of discussion and a few more watches in order to touch on all those things because uh somehow the movie just it it really feels perfect dude uh it just keeps playing down these cards that i didn't know it was holding you know 
it, it keeps going one step further than I would think it was, would over and over again, the punch through the glass, I didn't know we we're going to get that, and the brother uh, being a character and having such depth to him, I didn't know we would get that. I didn't know we would get a fight with the uh, with Adrian so early. Um, I didn't know we would actually get to see Adrian as a character outside of the suit. I didn't know we would get a a, a conversation between between him and Cecilia. Um, this sort of reckoning moment that leads into the climax. Um, I didn't know that we were to have any time with Adrian in order to uh, establish himself in a way that wasn't just. Let me parse this out a bit. So throughout the movie, we get Adrian through Cecilia's memories and dialogue. And, and then we just get him as this presence that is in every shot and, and then ends up being very, very aggressive um, in the way he uh, is killing people and, and upping the stakes over and over. I didn't expect the movie to then come back down and have him as a real person but then, you know, as the scene goes on and this actor who plays Adrian, who's great from the first time we see him, dude, he the casting on that guy is incredible. The way he he's exactly um, he's exactly the person that I would believe did all these things while also looking like scene. he could have been the bachelor. Yeah, the scene we see him in, he's not doing any of these things, but immediately when he appears on screen, uh, smiling in like this suit he was wearing, I watched this movie with my girlfriend, and right when he shows up, my girlfriend goes, ew. And like, he's a super <laughs> good looking dude, so it's not, uh, it's just, what, what I'm getting at is just yeah. the movie is uh, just so confident, and it's like it was created in a, in a lab in order to be a perfect movie. Like it has so much heart to it, but also I can't understand how, how does, how does mere man create such uh, an amazing movie dude? This is like, uh, it's going to be like top three of the year. Um, I'm certain of it. It's one of my favorite movies we've seen for the podcast. And it's a movie that I, I think is up there with, uh, scream you know one of my favorite horror movies it's up there with kubrick films it's up there with hitchcock films um in terms of suspense and horror i i was really really blown away by this movie and i look forward to seeing it again and talking about it more because there really is so much here uh really quick before i i give some closing thoughts to oliver jackson cohen is the name of the actor just so we can give him some due credit once again. And um, yeah, I, I think the easiest way for me to sum this up is uh, I'm struggling to think of instances where the movie made the wrong choice. And again, having only seen it once, I don't know how I'm going to feel about this way down the road. It's like you said, wanting to get notes down for posterity, but I don't know if I use the word perfect lightly. I think I mean it. Um, not in the sense that it is something that is like the platonic ideal of a film, but it's one of those things where I'm looking at this as a cohesive piece and I do not know what I would change. I have no idea. I can't think of a scene where I was like, maybe that didn't need to be there or maybe I would have done it this way. I can't think of choices that feel like the wrong choice. Um, and that's really the most praise I can possibly put on a movie. It's definitely one of the best things we've seen on this show. Um, it's one of the best 
things I feel like I've seen in a long time, regardless of having been on this show. And I think that it just does so much so well and does manage to be timely and timeless and just so well made and well executed. And there's, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's damn near perfect. I'll put it that way. Maybe give give myself a little room to, uh, not commit a hundred percent in the future, but damn near perfect for sure. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's like a it's like a ninety nine out of a hundred. Out of hundred, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's counting? And and here before we finish, Corey, I'd like to uh, take a moment here to play a quick game of uh, Flea versus Tim Allen, if you wouldn't mind. Oh, are we doing that for this? Do you have an answer oh, for yeah. this? Oh yeah, I had an answer for last week too, but that was a, that was a busier episode. And uh, but I do want to remind you that. Uh, Going forward, we need to be uh, we need to get our heads in the game and be uh, be competitive because um, I'm going to stand up for my boy Tim. Um, maybe so, maybe I show you how it goes. Maybe I just thought the uh, the subject matter of this movie was maybe too serious, and I also just had, as you're aware, um, a pretty gnarly week. So I uh, I did not do the research to uh, to adequately discover uh, fleas attachment to this movie so it looks like you're gonna have to take me to the cleaners on this one i figured yeah no i'll show you how it's done Corey. take a seat all right so flea versus tim allen this is a weekly game where uh, that we've never Corey, done weekly where Corey and i uh each are on a team i the tim allen team Corey the flea team and we see how flea many from degrees, red hot chili peppers that's right and we see how few degrees of separation we can find between content in the film we are discussing and our respective actor and so in this case uh i will be sporting tim allen as i always will and uh i am going to do this in about three to four degrees of separation here hit me so storm reed plays sydney in Mm -hmm. the invisible man she was in a film called 12 years a slave from 2013 okay in that movie is an actress named Sarah Paulson. Uh-huh. Sarah Paulson was in the TV show Roseanne. Uh-huh. And Tim Allen, if you Google his name next to Roseanne, has some serious thoughts about Roseanne. But wait, but they didn't perform together. I don't care if he has serious thoughts about Roseanne. That's not how this game works. What do you mean? We've never played the game before. You can't decide how it works. I thought we had established when we made it up that they had to be in a thing. Like, that's how six degrees of separation works. That's just how that works. I disagree. Well, no, but think about it. So why couldn't it be... Why is the connection between Storm Reid to Sarah Paulson to Roseanne all films and then the one to Tim Allen isn't? I don't think this should count. No, I think if you can find like a an interview where Flea says his favorite movie is The Invisible Man, no. like that would be a degree of separation. No, that counts. no, it wouldn't. That's not how Everyone, the game works. Email into the show. Let us know. Okay, well, I mean, you get a, I don't know, you get a tentative half point um, because this is contest. This is a contested ruling. Um, but instead of bickering about rules to a game we made up, I would like to thank everybody once again for listening to another episode of they made another one you can find us all over the internet on twitter at they made another all one word on anchor spotify apple and google Podcasts, stitcher breaker and everything else as they made another one 
You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, your thoughts on The Invisible Man, and I guess your thoughts on our stupid game also. Liam, where can people find you? You guys can find my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallow. And you can catch me on Twitter at Mr. Corey Price. And with that, we will catch you here next week for more. They made another one?